We're now going to turn for a very different perspective on America's recent foreign policy decisions to the people of Michigan. There, Sarah Hewlett of Michigan Public Radio went to visit people whose families are living at the very heart of rapidly evolving societies in the Arab world. When it came time to celebrate, on February 11th, about 100 Egyptians crammed into a pizza parlor that sits in a little strip mall north of Detroit. Thanks for calling me. Pizza can I help you? Well, my, my name is Amr, and um, I own the pizza place. Sure. Would you like anything else with us? Amr Masood says after he opened, about a year and a half ago, word trickled out among local Egyptians that one of their own had a pizzeria. So, when it came time to celebrate the overthrow of Hosni Mubarak... He was absolutely packed. Like, we were all over the place, all over the restrooms, from here to the kitchen. Masood and his fellow Egyptians listened to the same music their friends and family were hearing in Tahrir Square, and they celebrated the revolution they'd spent their whole lives waiting for. Soon, Egyptians like Ola El Said will watch as Egypt holds its first democratic elections in its history. And El Said says she hopes leaders in the U.S. are paying attention. What we'd like to see is for America to look at Egypt and the Egyptian people as the bright, young people that we are and what we can bring to America and the region. But El Said says she doesn't place a lot of confidence in American politicians. She says whatever goodwill the Obama administration built up through its support for the Arab Spring uprisings could start to look shaky if America fails to firmly support Palestinian statehood. The entire region is looking at the injustice happening in Palestine. So Egyptians are looking at America as as being unjust. So is Tunis, so is Libya, so is Syria. So so it's going to be a region-wide decision that America is not our ally anymore and that would be very hard to fix. El Said says she sees little to convince her that the politicians seeking the White House in 2012 are all that concerned about supporting the people fighting repressive governments in the Arab world. And she says she expects foreign policy will take a backseat to domestic issues as the election season wears on. I mean, you know, for the average American, I think that's very understandable. That's Rami Jandali. He's a native of Syria. You know, somebody who who is unemployed, uh, really, I mean, there are priorities to them, you know, they want to really want to get a job or, you know, they're more concerned about education than what's going to happen in Libya or Syria, you know, I mean, uh, I would care less, you know, you know, if, if I did not have a job, you know, and my concerns are more immediate. Still, Jandali agrees that the U.S. cannot ignore the changes happening in the Middle East and North Africa. There's such a seismic shift in in this region, in, in the Middle East, that's, that's in, in North Africa, that's taking place now, I mean, it's no less significant than, you know, like the fall of the Ottoman Empire, you know, early in the 20th century, or, you know, later on, the fall, fall of the Berlin Wall. I mean, we are really seeing the whole political map being redrawn. John Daly says he's an independent voter and hasn't decided who to support in the 2012 presidential election. But he says the remarks of at least one candidate suggest a view wildly at odds with his take on the opportunities the Arab Spring presents for the U.S. Here's Republican Michelle Bachman speaking to party activists in California in September. You wonder why we have had the hostilities of this Arab Spring. And we saw President Mubarak fall while President Obama sat on his hands. And we've also seen now the rise of radical elements all across the Middle East region. I mean, hearing this kind of rhetoric really troubles me because, 
there is a tremendous opportunity for the United States here, you know, giving its influence and power to to try to nudge this movement in the right direction, you know, so we, you know, it favors, you know, our interest down the road. Jandali says no one should be fearful of the democratic movements in the Arab world. Assad Tarsin agrees. Tarsin is a Libyan-American who was born in New Orleans. Now he's bringing his three kids up in suburban Detroit. Yeah, that is juice, isn't it? <laughs> We've sort of developed a tendency to need to continue to have something to fear. Tarsin says if you want to know whether extremism is likely to fill the vacuum left by Gaddafi, just look at how things are unfolding. The proof is in the pudding. Um, you don't have people now that Libya is free and there's freedom of speech um, and people have, so, you know, quote unquote, gotten what they needed from the U.S. But there are people, you know, burning U.S. flags and saying, you know, down with America or down with the West or anything or even Israel for that matter. Still, Tarsin says the Palestine question has many people in the region convinced that American politicians, including Obama, will only disappoint them. It's indicative of sort of where things are going overall and, you know, who President Obama is sort of in in the greater spectrum of political candidates. And I think there's this sense of, well, if he, you know, stood against the Palestinians, then it's hopeless to try to expect any real help from America. Tarsin says Obama's outreach to the Arab and Muslim world early in his term generated a good deal of optimism. The 2009 Cairo speech, in which the president pledged mutual respect and mutual interest, was a high point. But when it comes to selecting a candidate for 2012, Tarsin says he's still waiting to find those same qualities in any of the current candidates. For America Abroad, I'm Sarah Hewlett in Michigan. This is such an American story. People coming here from various places in the world and having one foot and part of their heads back in their home country and still being immersed in the day-to-day struggle to uh, to get over in the United States. Carol Doherty, I know Pew has done polling among Muslim Americans. How are they looking at uh, domestic politics? Well, it's very interesting. They, they uh, In terms of the first question on the Arab Spring, support but not overwhelming support, some measure of caution about what these changes might mean for the governments and countries over there. Uh, on domestic issues, uh, Muslim Americans are, are, are kind of classic uh, liberals in some ways, but somewhat conservative on social issues like gay marriage, homosexuality. So it's a, it's a, mixed, uh, it's a mixed bag, and, uh, and most... Uh, support Obama, and uh, overwhelmingly they support Obama and most affiliate with the Democratic Party. Susan has decades of relatively high levels of immigration. We're back to the highest level of foreign-born Americans uh, that we've been in in 90, 100 years. Uh, Changed the way parties have to think about foreign policy. Are there domestic constituencies for decisions about the rest of the world that, uh, that press on congressmen, senators, and so on? Uh, No question. Uh, I think the difference is is that those tend to be much more focused, even even niche issues, so that uh, a candidate... like we're seeing in the Republican primary right now, doesn't want to talk in a broad sense about foreign policy because, broadly speaking, Americans just aren't ranking it high on their list of priorities this year. That being said, there are certain crucial constituencies, more narrow cast within the party that you need to talk to, whether uh, it is 
uh, Arab Americans in Michigan, for example. Obviously, they're a major force in Michigan politics. Uh, they could be crucial in a, in a primary election campaign in the Democratic Party, for example. Uh, or whether it's the question of Israel among the Christian evangelical vote. Jennifer, we saw the Republican candidates struggling at the beginning uh, to criticize the president over the Libya policy. We were in too much. We were in not enough. It wasn't going to work. It's been interesting to watch, but it's also got an audience among these people that we heard from from Michigan. The administration has not come up with a coherent uh, policy vis-a-vis that region. Uh, its foreign policy with regard to the Palestinian uh, uh, and Israeli conflict uh, is uh, arguably uh, the biggest failure since uh, the founding of the state of Israel. Uh, he's managed to annoy uh, both uh, the Palestinians, uh, who uh, are now uh, personally out to embarrass him um, by taking their um, unilateral declaration to the Security Council, and the Israelis are very upset with him. So I think it's hard for voters um, to be uh, proud or to be uh, supportive of a policy that they frankly don't understand. And you have to sympathize with voters because it hasn't been all that clear. So it's very logical, at least from my perspective, that you would have people complaining that on one hand he has been uh, too supportive of Israel. On the other hand, people complaining that he's been too supportive of the Palestinians because he has not uh, created, um, forget about it, Obama doctrine, but a coherent foreign policy that has been successful, that's been able to project American influence. Susan Glasser, uh, Jennifer Rubin, I think, uh, highlights some of the difficulty here. At 30,000 feet, if you ask voters, any kind of voters, if they support freedom or democracy in North Africa and the Middle East, everybody's sort of pro-freedom as a general proposition, a pro-democracy if they're sitting in Michigan or Illinois or on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. But if you're in power from any party, it starts to get a lot tougher to do, doesn't it? Well, I think that's a very important observation. You know, what you're suggesting, and and clearly we've seen that playing out in the course of the Arab Spring, is that uh, Americans have a very idealistic view not only of themselves, but also of our role in the world, that it should be in some broad sense to advance freedom and democracy. We like to see ourselves on the side of the good guys. We like to see ourselves uh, supporting students pouring into the street to peacefully demand their rights in in Egypt, for example. Um, That being said, uh, this sort of idealistic impulse in American foreign policy pretty quickly collides uh, with a much more realist approach, especially in the Middle East. If anything, the Middle East has been the sort of tectonic plate where our idealism has clashed most dramatically in recent years with our uh, hard-headed realism. Of course, we supported in the region uh, many very unsavory dictators and, and continue to do so, by the way, even in this season of Arab renewal. Uh, we were quick to abandon Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, for example, but you know, look at our very contradictory approach in Bahrain, Uh, where the U.S. has a very important naval presence, uh, and right next door in Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, both states that do not allow even basic freedoms uh, to many of the people who live there. Uh, So, you know, we already have a very contradictory approach when it comes to this, and I think for most Americans, uh, not only do they not have a clear sense, perhaps, of what the alternatives always are, but 
it does come at a time when we feel economic pressures at home and where the expansive view of the American role in the world, uh, the very muscular interpretation of uh, internationalism taken by George W. Bush and his administration have really sort of tainted, I think, in American political discourse, the question of what our role in the world should be, right? You know, this is democracy uh, and and nation building have been discredited by uh, what we've done in Iraq and Afghanistan in many ways. This has been a disappointing era for uh, those starry-eyed idealists about uh, America promoting democracy. I'm Ray Suarez, and you're listening to Election 2012, Voters and Foreign Policy on America Abroad.